Today in the garage, we have Michael Burry. As a certified executive coach with Blue Pond Coaching and volunteer member of the Law Society of Ontario's Coach and Advisor Network, Michael helps legal professionals develop essential survival skills to deal with their career challenges. Michael was candid with us about the importance of work-life balance and the creation of boundaries in one's legal practice. Whether you're driving your Tiffany Blue Bentley Azura, jamming with your friends next door, or getting off the record, let's step into the garage, listen to the experts, and get it to them. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. I know as a criminal lawyer, we are not only idealistic, but we're there in the trenches. Um, sometimes it's tough. And uh, I want to talk to you about work-life balance today uh, in this uh, profession that, that sometimes takes its toll on individuals. Um, so I want to ask you some questions. I'm ready. I know you're ready. I, I've known Michael for many years and... Uh, the one thing that I will say, and hopefully that we'll be able to weave through this uh, podcast, is some of the great humor that you have. It's early in the day, but I think we can manage that. Uh, but humor <laughs> has got to be uh, some good outlet. Right. Um, and uh, it, it's got to be something that, and I always say you have to have the really, if you're a criminal lawyer or a defense lawyer, you have to have some outlet, uh, including a real bad, bad, bad humor. <laughs> I've heard a lot of bad jokes, but I've heard a lot of good jokes, too, at Old City Hall. So, Okay. So tell me how uh, you help uh, uh, keep an even keel. Uh, myself, I make sure to uh, create what I call anchors in my life. Uh, COVID has had a horrible impact on everyone. I call it the Corona Coaster. You know, one day you wake up ready to clear off your desk, do all the work. The next day, you can't get out of bed. You don't even know what to pick on Netflix. So for me, it's been creating regular anchors that uh, are consistent in my life. So that, for example, means you know, getting up, taking my stubborn two-year-old Frenchie bulldog for a walk, regardless of whether she wants to or not. Uh, making sure I go to the gym, <laughs> now that they're open again, but that's also a roller coaster. Um, and making sure to spend uh, quality time with the time that I do have. It's very easy for us to just sit down and do what I call doom scrolling. You sit down on the couch with your laptop and you're just reading all the negative news. And you just got to turn that stuff off and focus on things that uh, you previously haven't had time to do. Reading that book, cooking that recipe, uh, just making time for yourself is very important and it's sticking to that schedule. And it sounds like structure, but but creating right. structure is not easy. Is there, for, is there a formula uh, to create the structure that can help you survive the pandemic, survive a very difficult uh, and challenging type of profession or work that you've chosen? Well, f it depends on the person. For me, for example, uh, I swear by my things to do list. Um, I'll never forget uh, when I was articling with Alan Gold, uh, he, uh, I came into his office once without pen, paper, anything, and I just sat down and uh, was ready to take his instructions for a case, and he just stared at me and said, what, how, how do you propose to remember this, what I'm about to tell you? 
Um, because he swore by his things to do list. He had this little piece of paper, stuff he had to accomplish, crossed it out religiously. So that's the system that I still follow to this day. Other people, it's harder, and they need an accountability system. So that means um, either your partner is reminding you what you need to achieve, um, and you're sharing those goals, or sometimes you need a coach, for example. Uh, a lot of uh, my uh, clients are often stuck, and they need someone like me to help them get unstuck. And part of that process includes the accountability that someone is, you're going to be checking in with someone on your progress. It's almost like a report card. It's funny, when I reflect back upon my career, there are things that I really enjoy mm -hmm. and things that I don't enjoy so much. The thing that I really enjoy is being in court, arguing, uh, uh, trying to uh, learn and employ, you know, uh, cutting edge arguments in relation to the charter to help with help clients with their freedom and liberty. I don't enjoy all the other work. Uh, and so uh, I've had to learn a structure, a business structure. Um, but I've also found over the years that that business structure only gets you so far because with the advance of technology, I'm available 24-7. Right. And uh, how do you shut it off? You literally shut it off. <laughs> it's, I call it the digital detox, uh, where uh, you, you basically have to force yourself that at a certain time of day, that phone goes off or that computer goes off. It's like 9, 9 p.m., it's off. And, and you have to train your clients that, you know, I'm not available 24-7. I know in criminal law, that's a bit challenging. Because yeah, it's hard to train <laughs> the police. It's hard to, yeah. Arrest between 9 yeah. and 5. Right. Don't call me at right. 3 in the morning on my personal right. number. Right, right. So, you know, unless we get some cooperation from the police, yeah, there's going to be those late-night arrests. But generally speaking, I, I try to encourage people to turn on and turn off at certain times uh, instead of, you know, I find many people, the first thing they wake up to is not their dog or partner, but their phone. It's like, okay, when you wake up, don't immediately rush to check your phone messages. Spend some time, you know, just sit there and, you know, gr practice gratitude is one thing I teach people. It's just wake up, say, thank God I'm alive today. Thank God I have my health. Thank God I have this and this in my life, all these positive things. Before you turn on that phone and see the barrage of, annoying messages or disturbing messages from clients or whoever. And, and it's also the speed of the technology. Right. Puts extra pressure on anyone. Right. Uh, to feel as if they got to respond uh, very quickly. I remember when I commenced uh, <laughs> my practice, uh, it was a luxury to have a cell phone. Right. And you'd leave the office and uh, you'd, you'd attend court and you'd come back at four o'clock and you'd see messages and you'd try to get a you know, back to people. But if not, you let them know. Yeah. Or, or your assistant would let them know uh, he's in court. Right. He'll respond to you tomorrow or the next day. Right. Uh, I don't know if that expectation level can still be created where clients will understand you're not going to get an immediate response. Well, again, it's it's training them, training yourself, and just telling them this is how we're going to operate, okay? After six, don't call me unless it's an emergency. It's that simple. Right? It's just creating boundaries, creating boundaries in your personal life and creating boundaries in your professional life. It is hard because with that instant access, they expect you to call, as you said, like in five minutes. But you have to set the boundaries right at the beginning of your arrangement with them. And I guess if you don't set the boundaries, um, you know, there's just going to be disappointment. And disappointment uh, 
without communication leads to a complaint. Right, right. So it's transparency, setting the boundaries, making sure everyone's on the same page because you don't want irritated, grumpy clients who say, I can never reach this guy. He's never available. Well, no, I am available. These are my hours. Call me between 4 and 6. If it's an emergency, call me anytime, obviously. Okay. Um, what other challenge uh, challenges would you, uh, uh, um, or how would you discuss the challenges that young lawyers will have entering this practice? Because they may be better equipped <laughs> than uh, an old guy like myself. Well, they may be better equipped with the technology. Obviously, they're very adept. They're Instagramming, Facebooking, LinkedIn. They're masters of the technology. Problem is, I find because they focus so much on the technology, they may not be as good at the people skills. And let's face it, at the end of the day, it's people skills that get you the clients, you know, good referrals. You, you can spend thousands of dollars on Google. At the end of the day, a client who's happy and satisfied with your services is going to be your best promotion versus spending money on social media and other formats. So, They say that, uh, uh, in, at least in criminal law, if you have a client who is... Uh, appreciative of your uh, work and, and you have a successful result um, and and they're they 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 may tell one person may right because it's very embarrassing to be charged and to go through the criminal process but if you have a disappointed client right they'll tell a hundred they'll tell a hundred especially if they're in custody so yeah it's it's a tough balance but uh I have found, uh, I have, you know, I did get a lot of referrals when, uh, you know, the work was done well, especially if it's a referral from another lawyer, you know, you build up that practice by networking with lawyers and family law, civil law, and when they see good results, they'll keep sending you files. So we've sort of uh, transgressed into, you know, how to practice law, which is an important part of the work-life balance experience because uh, if you can prof professionally uh, address all the different issues and, and, and create boundaries so that uh, you have a separate life for work and a separate life for yourself, uh, um, I, I think you can survive any uh, um, issue that arises, including a pandemic. You can. Uh, problem is with a lot of criminal lawyers, you know, we feel we're there to save the world right? And we'll do anything for our clients quite often at our own personal expense, whether it's health or otherwise. I call it the warrior mask. You know, we all have our warrior mask. We go to court, we're going to win, we're going to uh, succeed, get results for our clients. And we're almost afraid to take off the warrior mask because then, you know, it, for some people, it's a sign of weakness. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm exhausted. You know, you don't want to talk about that kind of stuff, obviously, with a client. Um, but, you know, even, even with friends, when you're networking, um, there's this expectation that you're a lawyer 24-7, right? And that uh, you're, you're never weak, you're never tired, you have uh, no personal problems, you're ready to go to that bail hearing anytime. And that's just not reality. I got a guy, I, yeah. I got a guy, and I got a guy, and yeah. hey, what about this? And yeah. what about that? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like it can be nonstop. And, yeah, uh, for sure. One of the things that I know that... Uh, what I miss was uh, during this period of COVID was when I could be at the courthouse. There would be wind down uh, opportunities uh, to have a coffee with a crown attorney or uh, if a judge uh, would pop by or, or another defense counsel. And, and you'd either talk about life or you talk about uh, the funny stories uh, that have happened in court or 
interesting uh, uh, and critical issues. Uh, and so you miss that right now. That's huge. Yeah, that's a huge gap right now. Uh, so I'm encouraging people to, when I talk about anchors, one of those anchors is networking. Um, some lawyers that I've worked with have set up small circles, Zoom circles, they're calling them, where they once a week, they'll meet up virtually to do what you're describing. They'll just say, you know, there's this new procedure at uh, 361 or, oh my God, can you believe this happened at the hall? So they're kind of doing it virtually, which is the best we can do right now. And there's a shout out that I want to do to all criminal lawyers that have practiced for a number of years. Uh, If you can create a a Zoom group, a mentorship group of uh, 10 or 15 people uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, try to meet with them every week or every other week, once a month uh, for an hour and just let people hash out things uh, would be an incredible way to help the profession. Recently, the Criminal Lawyers Association had uh, a, a number of uh, days where Alan Gold would right. be like, shoot me a question. Right. Go ahead. I, I, I'm going to give you the answer. And it was amazing. I, I listened uh, to each and every of the, uh, the the Zoom meetings or podcasts or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, and they were fantastic. Right. And, and, and he's great for that. And that's part of the problem with all the technology. We've lost a lot of people skills and we've lost that connection. You would think there'd be more connection with all the technology, but really it's, I find it to be less. It's just small blips and burps, you know, likes. That's not real communication. To actually be able to sit down and listen to someone like Alan uh, hash out some questions or even, you know, any lawyer, just to sit down with a senior lawyer and have a chat. It doesn't happen like it used to. You used to be able to call the top Toronto criminal lawyers and say, hi, I'm a new lawyer. I have a question. Do you mind if... And they would actually respond and talk. But we've become so isolated with this technology that everyone's basically hiding behind the technology when it comes to uh, communications, I find. And it's interesting you bring up that example because I think it's still alive. I know I still call people, but right. I do get emails from individuals saying, hey, can, can we talk? I have an issue. And, and I love it. I, I feel great. as if maybe I know something <laughs> and maybe I can share something. But really, in reality, is a lot of times I learn something. Exactly. And so uh, as a senior member of the bar, I know that that feeling is shared by so many. So for those that are listening out there and are new to the profession or are in the profession, pick up the phone. Right. Call us. It's that simple. <laughs> no. It is that simple. You and don't have to email. You don't have to text. Just pick up the phone and dial. I've really been focusing on helping people with their struggles, you know, to take off that warrior mask. Self-care has been a big issue, and we're not good at that. <laughs> Let's face it. Lawyers are not good at self-care for the most part. So, again, it's slowing down, pausing, reflecting, and uh, taking care of yourself, making that a priority. So the warrior mask. Right. Uh, I get the concept. Um the facade that we have to put up right um you know while you're in court or while you're with a client uh becomes second nature right you it's a learned skill um and uh, it can create problems in your own personal life sure sure and when people do start to have you know negative consequences what should they do? do what do they look for who should they seek out Well, that's part of the problem. They typically don't until the problem gets worse, right? Uh, There's a lot of self-medication, as we know. People uh, slowly taking on addictions, which is obviously not helpful. I I would start by reaching out to colleagues. 
because that's the least, um, I guess, not, not least embarrassing, but it's just the easiest to do, just to have either a mentor or a friend that you can reach out to and say, okay, I got a trial next week. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Can you help me out here? I'm panicking. Having someone to connect with. Um, some people need more than that. So it's either whether it's a, th- you know, it could be a therapist, could be a coach. It depends on where they're at in their life. Uh, but definitely learning to reach out is critical for us as lawyers because that's, you know, I was reading a, a recent study that says lawyers are one of the professions that have the highest rate of depression. And that didn't surprise me. It was just kind of a shocking statistic that it was so pervasive. So again, it all comes back to self-care and reaching out. Okay, when you talk about reaching out, not everybody has the tools to reach out. Right. But we have colleagues. Exactly. And if you are a colleague and you see somebody who is going offside, having difficulty, um, what do you do? Uh, It's tough. I've had that experience uh, a year or so ago where a colleague was going completely offside, just in all the imaginable ways you can think of as a lawyer, you know, everything you're not supposed to do, he was doing. You know, the interesting thing is we have a positive obligation under right. our rules of professional regulation, at least for the Law Society of Ontario, and it's replicated uh, across our country um, you know, with the in the Federation of Law Societies that you have a positive duty if somebody has an issue that right. affects their capacity as a lawyer. Right. You're supposed to report. I mean, that's a tough thing, especially as criminal lawyers. We right. carry shields, not swords. That's right, right. And and to what degree, you know, how bad does it have to be before you feel compelled uh, to report someone, right? Like, how bad? Okay, someone has a major alcohol problem. He shows up in court drunk half the time. Do you report that? You may have an obligation, but more of a moral obligation if he's a colleague to exactly. try to address it, take them aside. Exactly. And, and help them get help. That's, that's the most important step, getting them to acknowledge, okay, there's a problem here. You stumbled into court. I saw you stumble into court. Okay, you need help. Let's, let's get that help for you set up. You know, I used to chuckle. I'd be uh, defending some individuals with drinking and driving. And, right. you know, a lot of times the defense was technical in nature, but they'd show up either with a Molson's uh, Canadian T-shirt <laughs> or it's, they, it's, they, they, they show up smelling like alcohol. And right. it's very difficult right. to deal with. But right. at the same time, as, as a defense counsel, you have your obligations. They're not going to be called to the stand. But, right. Right. you know, as right. long as they could comprehend, we'd continue. Right. Um, <laughs> So I, I really don't know what the answer is. I try to address them, and part of uh, criminal law is, I think, um, a, a part of a successful practice is to think beyond just the charge and, and to employ some uh, uh, social work with your clients or, or help for your clients, get them the tools that they need, because a number of the cases that I at least deal with, and I, I, I do deal with the uh, some large projects, but I, I also, I take anything that comes in the door. So I deal mm-hmm. with some individuals that are first time, very sad cases, uh, and I'm talking about factual cases. Uh, and you could see that if they just had the tools and understanding what resources are out there, right. that they can help themselves. And I wanna try to you know, bring that type of process back to helping each other as a lawyer. Well, yeah, it's so important. Again, we're so good at doing that with clients, you know, trying to, give them the tools they need to succeed once the charge is done. You know, we try to help them out, but we're not so good at doing that with each other. 
And that's part of the problem. We need to take care of ourselves and each so other. So Michael, let's talk about the imposter syndrome. I, I know that even as a, as a young lawyer, I always doubted myself. Even now, you know, I'm trying to share information on how to practice law. Uh, and we've created these podcasts and, and, and I credit you for the idea, sharing the idea with me. Uh, but, uh, I don't know what I sound like out there. I'm always doubting myself. <laughs> I, I, I'm self doubting in my mind as I'm talking to you and, and I'm, you know, I, I, I've done okay as a criminal lawyer, but those that are new to the profession, it's gotta be overwhelming. It is, it is. And now with the complexity of rules, the complexity of each courthouse having a different system to deal with the COVID issues, it, it's a lot to digest for people. Figuring out what Zoom meeting I'm in for this courtroom, let alone where's my client? Is my client called in yet? So there, there's a lot of layers now that have been uh, added because of COVID. But just getting back to the imposter syndrome concept, I, I find that's a, a common trend especially with the younger lawyers. And I get it. You know, you haven't done your first appeal in front of Justice Doherty at the Court of Appeal. You haven't done a project case yet. And, th and then the cases start coming. And then you're like, oh, my God, I got a huge drug case with seven co-counsel. Uh, I've got serious uh, co-counsel. Um, I'm terrified. I'm not up to this. And then the self-doubt starts. And then it just builds and builds and builds. And unfortunately, it's a problem. So earlier we spoke about recognizing issues. Right. Um, how do you recognize and deal with imposter syndrome so that you know you're not alone? Right. And what steps and what structure may be employed, you know, from a coach's point of view, and we'll get into coaching in a sec, um, on on how to getting th how to get through with it, or or it, it, if it's going to be with you the rest of your life, how to deal with it. Right. Well, it, it's a combination of things. First of all, as you said, recognizing it, and, and I don't think people have a, a problem recognizing the feeling because it can be common. But then saying to yourself, okay, let, let's slow down and let's reflect upon my skill set. Okay, I've done law school. I've done bar ads. I've read the books, I've read the disclosure, I'm competent, and I will be competent today. I may not have the experience of the seven senior co-counsel sitting beside me, but I have access to it. I can lean over and ask a question. I can meet with them and say, look, uh, I don't get your strategy, can you help me understand it? Or, I'm stuck, what do you think I should do? Again, it's about reaching out once you recognize the uh, issue you have but before you reach out you know taking stock of your skills because you have them you know a lot everyone has the basic skills it's just taking the next step and reaching out it, you know what's interesting is because I, I do get involved with some continuing legal education and I, I, I do sit in court a lot of times and just watch others still I am so impressed by the talent of the young lawyers so it's, it's not only are they really smart and they get the charter and they get criminal law and they get technology, but they're able to put it all together. Exactly. And if I can just do a shout out, I know in this past summer, we had committed to uh, using a few students in one of our future podcasts. We're going to talk about the future of, uh, of criminal law and from their perspective, but you know, uh, our producer... Our co-producer here is Xenia Sethna. Uh, we had a student, uh, Graham Hutchins, and we had another student, uh, uh, Nicola Perry, who are just 
geniuses. Right. And, right. and and the future is bright. And I see that when I'm in court and I see the young lawyers with cutting edge arguments. Um, I just need them to know that we recognize that and that the future is bright in criminal law. Oh, yeah. Like the tools they have now, we never had when we started out. So not only do they have the tools, they have the confidence, they have the technology. It's there. It's just, again, the self-reflection, taking the time to say, hey, yeah, I do have the tools. I do have the skill set. So, yeah, I may be sitting beside... Uh, a high, you know, high-level senior criminal lawyer, but I'm good too. I may not have his or her experience, but I've got the tools. So let's go. And, and people may not know this, but uh, I, when I was a federal crown attorney, a standing agent uh, back in the early 1990s, uh, and uh, continued into the early 2000s, um, I saw a lot of young lawyers do their first jury trial. In fact. I believe that there was a case that you were on with uh, Joseph Newberger, and that was uh, either yours or Joe's right. uh, first jury trial. Right. And I saw you and Joe work together quite well. Right, right. And again, it's the team approach, recognizing, hey, we're the defense bar. We're a team, okay? We don't have to work in isolation. We have to be ready to work together and to, again, develop the skill of reaching out and taking off the warrior mask again. It's like, it's not a sign of weakness. If you admit to someone, I've got this issue, or I've got that issue, or I have a problem, or my life is falling apart. It's not that bad. So right now in the environment we're in, society might be falling apart with a pandemic. And how do you take the team approach to address, you know, being able to survive this pandemic? What do you suggest? Uh, to young lawyers and all lawyers out there. Well, again, uh, I go back to creating those anchors in your life, in your personal life, and in your professional life. So in your professional life, yeah, we don't longer have the lo- the conferences we used to love going to or drive out to Fredericton for a national program. But there's so much content. For example, the programs you've started uh, recently are great, the podcast. There's so much CLE out there. Just Create the structure that, okay, once a week or whatever the schedule is, I'm going to download some good content because there's a lot of good content being produced right now. So take the time, listen to it, you know, absorb it. And then not just listen to it, but then, again, that Zoom group, you know, it may, be, it may sound silly, but it's almost like forming a book club at chapters, right? You get together and you discuss the book. So why don't we get together and discuss, uh, I don't Paul's latest podcast, or why don't we get together and deci- talk about the latest case on drinking and driving from Superior Court. Just get together and talk. You know, when we talk about structure and shutting down and turning the phone off, sometimes, you know, during COVID, it's very hard to wind down. You know, you're out for a walk. Uh, People are terrified to interact with other individuals, and rightfully so. We're still learning to understand this virus and, and, and how, you know, potentially uh, uh, any therapeutics can help if you get it or, or, or uh, um, a vaccine, how will that help? How do we deal with going to a courtroom? How do you deal with going out to see friends if you're allowed to see friends? Right. Uh, it's a very self, uh, it's an isolating time and, and oneself has to worry about, you know, how do you wind down? And I'm going on and on about right. it, but obviously you can tell, you know, it affects me and it affects my own family as well. Right. No, of course. And, you know, I was coaching one lawyer who was experiencing just that issue. You know, he used to go to the office, do his work, come home, and then he had that separation. 
He doesn't have that now. So he has to work from home like most of us do now. So he was really struggling with uh, missing the office, missing the collegiality, meeting with friends. So again, what he did, what we worked through is we replicated his work office at home. Literally the same computer, the same equipment, the same chair, everything. And he had this, he you know, he had one of those lights um, that you use when you're on Zoom just to enhance your your wonderful face. So for him, the start of the day began began with turning on the light. The day ended with turning off the light. So again, turning off the light. So again, he created his office at home and then put the structures in place where, okay, open for business, closed for business. So that changed everything for him and he's doing quite well now. He's very happy. Okay, some great ideas. Yeah. Um, Coaching, uh, I know we touched down on it before, but really I, I want to hear what it is, what is coaching and give right. us an example. Right. Well, coaching typically starts with, as we've discussed, people reaching out, deciding, okay, I need help. I'm not going to be embarrassed about reaching out to get help. And what path that takes, you know, you have to decide whether it's therapy because it's an old issue or it's, okay, I want to really set up some goals and accountability. So ter- coaching typically starts with, a, I have a lengthy questionnaire, which uh, helps me understand where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What issues are you facing? So typically a client will complete the questionnaire. I'll review it. Uh, then we typically set up a schedule of at least six sessions. They're typically an hour long. And, and during those sessions, a lot of hard work gets done. Okay, we start with creating some goals. What goals do you want to achieve? What do you really want to do? Do you, do you still even want to be a lawyer? Issues like that. And then we set up uh, an accountability system. Okay, we're going to create a chart. Um, and it's as simple as a tick box. It's like, okay, today I reached out and talked to my colleague about a case. Tick, tick. It's creating that accountability system. It's manual. Um, it's a piece of paper. Uh, you scan it, and then the part that really works is when you send it to me, or if you fail to send it to me, and then I call you and say, where's your accountability sheet for the past two weeks? You know, having me there, or having anyone there, whether it's your partner in life or whether it's, it's a professional coach, just having someone who's going to monitor your accountability and make sure you get to the next levels is very important. That's where people struggle. Although I'm going to ask for a plug Okay. Uh, or for you to plug uh, Blue Pond Coaching at the end of sure. the podcast. Sure. Um, and not to take away uh, any business, but mentorship. Right. right. How does that change? How is that different from coaching? Is it sure. a, a lower level? Uh, is it more communal? Um, well, it's not, it's not a matter of level. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of why you might want coaching versus mentorship or why you might, might want mentorship versus coaching. You know, lawyers who are working, for example, at a large law firm, Okay, like whether it's a whoever it is, um, I call it shark waters. Okay, you're dealing with a very competitive environment, and quite honestly, if you uh, want to take off that warrior mask, it's very unlikely you're going to do that with a senior partner who oversees your cases. Okay, showing weakness in an environment like that, many people think is just the end of any real advancement in, the, in that large firm setting. So they want a coach. They want someone private who they're going to open up to and discuss what's really bothering them or stopping them from advancing. Mentorship, 
can work in, a, in that large law firm setting, but you're dealing more with practical issues. You know, I'm having problems billing this file. I have a difficult client. Um, do you know what the most recent case is on this? It's more uh, academic, more not, not, not as personal as the coaching experience. So mentorship can be great. You know, the Law Society has a great program, as we know. Uh, the you know, coach and advisor network where you can contact an advisor for a particular subject. So that's wonderful. But the personal stuff, it's hard to open up in a professional environment. And then, uh, you know, uh, there is another level and, and it's just a share group. And I know that uh, about four years ago, I had a wonderful a student at law, Hamna Anwar. She set up her own group of other articling students so that they can have a sounding board, right. so they could get through that experience, so they could ensure that the experience was enriched. And for any young lawyer listening, it, it's another way you can do it. And with today's technology, with Zoom, right. what an easy way to do right, it. Right, right. There's no excuse now not to do it. It's just, you know, having that push to go forward and set it up. And I think if this COVID pandemic is going to drag out, it's, it's going to become an essential part of your toolbox to actually have that regular structured connection with other people. Okay. So... Uh, Let's have some parting words, and uh, I want to hear a plug for both uh, your practice uh, uh, as an esteemed criminal lawyer and also this wonderful work you do as a coach. Sure. Well, I, th I think you wanted to hear a story of a, of a, or an example of the work I did. I, I was working with a criminal lawyer, um, senior, senior member of the bar, whose office was a nightmare. It's as if a hurricane blew through it. The files piled high, boxes, just, it was, you walked in and you got tense yourself just seeing it. Because typically with coaching, I'll either do it by Zoom or I'll attend at the person's office. So I stepped into the office and I said, this, this, this doesn't work. This can't work on any level. This cannot, you cannot function. Your anxiety is created by this. And, and it was funny because you would think there would be some self-awareness of the problem, but there was none. What's wrong with my office? So we started. He hired someone to help him organize the office. Slowly the piles disappeared, and the objective was the file you're working on is the only file on that desk. We got there. It took a while, but... And he felt so much better at the end of all of that. He was like, I can actually find a file. I can actually concentrate on this one file versus having this pile of stuff, which just creates the anxiety of, oh, this hasn't been done or that hasn't been done. It was like, no, I can now focus and get stuff done. So he was thrilled. He's now feeling much better. The anxiety levels have dropped. Obviously, there's other anxieties because of COVID and cash flow, et cetera. But at least he's calmed down. So it's so important to learn that. And sometimes you need a coach or a mentor to do that. And where, if someone needs a coach, where do they find you? They find me on my website, bluepondcoaching.com. Shoot me an email. Happy to chat. Uh, I typically start with a complimentary phone call where I'll just talk with you for an hour or so to figure out, can I help? Are we a match? Um, honestly, there are some people who can't be coached um, or aren't ready to be coached. And that's important to uh, find out early on so you don't get frustrated or fed up with the process. Some people aren't ready to coach because, um, you know, therapy may be better first for them. 
to deal with issues that are underlying their problem. And then they might be ready for coaching. So then we can move forward. So it's all good. If anyone wants to ask a good criminal question or a question about appeals, uh, where do they find you? (laughs) I think they should call you. (laughs) I don't know about that. Um, Same location, same address. Happy to help. And happy to answer general questions as well. Um, What supports are available? Um, What books do you recommend for this issue, for that issue? I've got them all. So just shoot me an email and I can help you out. Okay. Michael, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you, my friend. On Zoom and over the phone. Thank you. And thanks for the good work you're doing with the podcasts. They're really helpful. I listen to them and and I think they're very important for all of us in the criminal bar. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. A shout out to our fantastic producers, Xenia Sefna and Jason Cooper. For more free legal education and to check out what we've been doing for the past 10 years, go to thelawgarage.com. That is thelawgarage.com.